0: would you please open with me to the book of Daniel? We're going to start the book of Daniel this morning, which is awesome. And uh, we are going to be in the first two verses of Daniel this morning. Uh, we will have a, a much uh, larger swath of of scripture we're going to be going through on a regular basis. But for this morning, we'll be going through two verses, but not before I first uh, kind of give you an introduction. <clears throat> but before we do that, I want to remind us, of 2 Timothy 2.15, which the apostle says to Timothy, he says, do your best. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. As a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, this is obviously directed towards uh, the pastor there, Pastor Timothy, but the apostle Paul no doubt would Probably say that's good for all of us to be men and women who rightly handle the word of truth. Uh, As you listen this morning, I would encourage you to do your best this morning. Do your best in the coming weeks to present yourselves as men and women who are approved of God, meaning that you rightfully handle the word of truth of truth, as someone who doesn't have to be ashamed. You know, we have a tremendous opportunity as we begin a new book afresh to uh, not just be hearers, as was taught last week, but also doers of the word. And so I would encourage you to not just uh, check out, but to listen, to write things down, to ask questions, to, uh, to seek, be like a Berean in Acts 17, where Paul says they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? because they, were, they received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so um, let's take it up a notch, church, uh, not just here, but in our home studies and all those things. Let's, let's take in the word of God and, and, and ask the Lord, Lord, what does this mean? What does this mean for my life, my day? What's going on? Uh, teach me, Lord. Teach me. Let's have humble hearts before we go for the, before the Lord. And, and he is so faithful to give us wisdom when we ask for it in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in. And so with that, let's be vigilant and let's start by praying, okay? Father, we come to you and and we want to thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together again outside another beautiful day. We pray, Lord, once again, as we gather in your word, especially with this new study in the book of Daniel, that you would just blow our minds and expand our hearts And uh, just cause us to rejoice in your good, sovereign hand in this universe. That we would walk away more fully trusting in you, more fully following you, um, loving one another more fully in the times we live in, praying more instead of complaining more. Uh, Lord, change us, make us more like Jesus. And so we just commit ourselves in these coming uh, weeks and perhaps months that we're in the book of Daniel, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have read the book of Daniel? Awesome. So it's remedial for some of you. (laughs) Uh, So so for those of you who have uh, studied the book of Daniel, what's it about? Yeah, that's, that's a problem we all have as we, we read something and we go, I, yeah, I don't really remember. That's my job. Uh, no, but the book is really a fascinating book because it takes place over a period of 70 years in what's called the Babylonian Exile. And so as you have your pens and your papers and your students of the Word, I'll be writing some of this stuff down so you can ask questions later. But uh, the Babylonian exile, which takes place from about 605 B.C. to 536 B.C., um, it's a 70-year period where Israel is taken captive by Babylon uh, because of their sin. Babylon is is basically in modern-day Iraq, and so the Babylonians have conquered uh, Israel at this time in history, they dragged everybody back, uh, who survived, to uh, Iraq, to Babylon, and so the book of Daniel takes about takes place about five or six hundred years before Christ. That's another way to put it: twenty six hundred years ago, twenty five hundred years ago. So this is ancient history, but you're going to find that this book has. Everything that uh, in the world to do with what's happening today and in the future. And that's what I'm really excited about. Uh, Daniel is the author of this book. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy about that, and you can study higher criticism if you want. Uh, But I'll just cut through it all for you. Daniel wrote the book. Jesus said so. There we go. And so, from a very young age and old age, it's really interesting. Daniel was actually a young man when he was in Jerusalem. He was part of a royal family uh, lineage. He and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys have heard about those guys, right? You'll hear about them a little bit more. But uh, when the Babylonians came in in the first wave, they took a bunch of people with them. Well, they took Daniel and all these young men with them. And and he was around 15 years old. Imagine that, 15 years old. They're ripped away from your family. Your parents are probably half, half of them have been killed or imprisoned and all this stuff you're just taken away to this foreign land. So Daniel's 15 years old and he spends all of his life in captivity. All of his life in captivity. Not a very, how many of you want to live all of your life in captivity? Especially from 15 years old. He was made a eunuch at age 15. If you guys don't know what that means, that's it's horrible. I mean, you're emasculated and you're just, you're, you're made a eunuch. That's what happened to him. He was of a royal family. They didn't want him to Uh, have any more kids anything like that so he was taken that happened to him at a very young age and he was put in basically a, a prison there and so his entire lifespan for all those years he was he was in captivity in babylon but god used him mightily in those circumstances god used daniel mightily he used him to speak to the highest powers in the world the highest powers in the world, not only of that age, but in all of human history and the ages to come. That they would know that their kingdom is coming to an end and a king is coming to establish his throne. And when that king establishes his throne, there will be no end. And that was Daniel's message to the, to the Kings. And, as we now look at the structure of Daniel real quickly, because Daniel's the author, the structure of Daniel, it, at face value, it's divided into two major sections. It has 12 chapters, but basically chapters 1 through 6 or 7 right there, basically 1 through 6 recalls how Daniel's companions lived in exile. There's a lot more to it. I'm, I'm simplifying it right now. But in 7 through 12 or 8 through 12 uh, are basically visions. and so one is more stories and interaction, and then the other part is visions, and so uh, that's one easy way to look at it, but if you look at it closely, and you wouldn't know this from the English, the actual, the author of Daniel there, he divided up by language. It's actually written in two different languages, three basically, but it's very insignificant, but two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic, Hebrew, obviously the Hebrew spoke Hebrew. Aramaic was kind of like a cousin language to Hebrew and kind of everybody uh, spoke it in the area. But basically, if you look at it, the chapter one and up to chapter two, verse four, I'll be a little technical there. It was written in Hebrew. So kind of like an introduction. And then chapters two through seven, 728, are, are written in Aramaic. And then it jumps back to Hebrew for the rest of it. And so if you're looking at that, that tells us that the author has something in mind with, with what he's doing. And so I'm gonna kind of explain things. And as I teach things, I'm thinking that way because that's how he wrote it. And so um, as you as you look at all of this, um, just kind of wanted to break down chapter by chapter for you what the book of Daniel is. So I'm gonna give you a, a quick overview of the book of Daniel, okay? This is gonna be helpful for me. Um, but chapter one is basically an introduction to Daniel. We find out that, that Babylon conquered, and they've taken everybody back to, um, back to Babylon, basically, from uh, Judah. And Daniel's friends are there, and they're God-fearing young men, and they're faced with the dilemma on living in this new foreign pagan land. How are they going to worship uh, this new way, or are they going to hold true to the Lord? And so that's kind of what chapter one is. There's this faith, there's this pull, there's this constant pressure on the people of God to submit and surrender to the, the, the ways of the world, the kings of the world. Chapters two through seven is that middle section, it's written in the Aramaic. And it's interesting because these chapters have their own unique arrangement. Both chapters two and seven. So those are kind of kind of like the bookends, chapter two and chapter seven. They're the bookends of that center section. And we're going to work from chapters two and seven. And we're going to work inward to kind of explain it because that's what he does. It's kind of, you kind of look at two and seven. Those chapters two and seven are vision chapters. Chapter two is a vision to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon concerning the kingdoms that would come. How many of you guys remember the the statue from Sunday school with the head of gold and it keeps changing to different metals till it gets down to stone? And then there's this giant stone that flies out of nowhere that's made out of uh, no hands have made it, it flies and crushes the whole thing and then it becomes a mountain. So that's the vision of chapter two given to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, chapter seven on the other end of that section is a vision given to Daniel. And that that vision given to Daniel goes into greater depth concerning the future kingdoms of the earth. And that's what those those metals represent. They they represent the Babylonian kingdom and then the Medo-Persian kingdom. And it keeps going all the way down. till you get to the Romans and then it breaks up into all these kingdoms. And then finally, the kingdom of God comes in and crushes everything. That's the idea. Of that vision given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter two, well, in chapter seven, Daniel's given a vision on the uh, other end of that book end of that center section, and it's given in in, in a vision of animals, and those animals represent different kingdoms. And those kingdoms kind of progressed the same way that the the metal did through the different ages. You've got the Babylonians, you've got the uh, Medo-Persians, and then they're taken over by the Greeks, and they're taken over by the Romans, and it just kind of goes down through human history. By the way, this is all written in advance. So you get to this place where then it describes this, this beast with ten horns. And out of this beast with ten horns, there's a little horn that comes out of there. And this little horn that comes from it makes war against the saints. This is in chapter 7. Until the Ancient of Days comes and overthrows this evil horn, which is representative of king or power. And we know this to be the Antichrist. And so there's a little foreshadowing of what's going to happen through the kingdoms of men. And so you have those two bookends, chapter two and seven, visions. Well, as you're working your way in, you have chapters three and six, three and six. And these are the persecution chapters. So you have vision chapters, you have persecution chapters. Chapter three, we all remember this one. Uh, They would not bow down and worship the giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar made. Remember that? And so what happened? Meshach, Shadrach, Debedgo, they got thrown into the, the fiery furnace, but God delivered them. And then in chapter 6 Daniel would not pray to the king of Babylon. Remember that? And he got thrown into what? The lion's den. Yeah, and God delivered him. So those are the persecution chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 6. And then moving to the middle section of chapters 2 through 7, chapters 5 and 6. These are the these are the king's reactions, the reaction to God's message. And so you have two kings and two reactions. You have Nebuchadnezzar and then his son or grandson they are responding. And in chapter five, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember he hears this vision. He's up on his balcony. He's talking about how everything great was and he's prideful. And, and the message to him is that you must humble yourself. He was the most powerful king at that time. And, and, he's, and he said, look at all I've done and all this stuff. And he was prideful in his heart. And so God humbled him for seven years. He became like a wild animal living out in the wilderness and stuff. And at the end of that time, what happened is he came to his right senses and he repented and he responded and he worshiped God. That's what happened in chapter five. Chapter six tells a different story. His son or his grandson. Apparently, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was away or someone was in charge. I won't get into the history there, but... Basically, grandson Belshazzar, he becomes prideful and he does not humble himself. And instead of seven years, he dies that night. He dies that very night as the Medo-Persians come in and kill him and take over the kingdom. There's a lot there. So you have those chapters there, chapters two through seven. You have two visions. You have two persecutions. You have two fates. It's amazing how all those how it works to that center section there. And so that's the first major section of Daniel chapters one through seven. And then the last half of Daniel is the vision chapters in chapter eight. And this is going back to Hebrew again, chapter eight speaks more in detail about the kingdoms that follow Babylon. Uh, The Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the Greek uh, Empire, talks about Alexander the Great before he came about and who he was and how his kingdom was divided into four kingdoms and all this type of stuff. And just amazing stuff. But basically it talks about that. But then it carries that imagery of the little horn from chapter 7. And this time it's a large horn, a symbol of power. And the idea is that from the kingdoms of men will come a king, an evil king, someone who will be very powerful, and they will attack Jerusalem. And he will exalt himself above God in the temple and ultimately be destroyed by God. So it repeats the same thing in a little bit of different imagery. Now in chapter 9, Daniel's old. He's perplexed. He keeps getting all these visions. All this stuff keeps going on. And as a student of the word, he's read the, 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 the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 25, he knows it's only 70 years that they need to be in exile. So he was a little kid when he got in and he's going, okay, I'm an old man now. It's, it's about any time he's reading. He knows it's just a matter of time before that God's done with the judgment of Israel. And so he begins to pray. That's what Daniel chapter 9 is. He's praying to God. But an angel comes and lets him know, hey, listen, uh basically, although they will be released from Babylon, that that God's not done with Israel yet. There's more to their judgment that actually it's instead of seven years, seven uh, time instead of seven uh seventy years, it's gonna be seventy times seven. It's gonna be four hundred and ninety years more under the Gentile oppression, basically. And it's not speaking of four hundred and ninety years more in Babylon, but something else, and we'll get to more of what that is. Uh, and that pushes us into chapter 9. Uh, and so 490 years, info thrusts us into Daniel's last visions here in chapter uh, chapter 10. Sorry, as we get in chapter 10. And basically chapter 10 through 12 is Daniel's last vision. And this is where the kingdoms of the world are seen again. And so there's this repetition of these kingdoms in different ways and different images And this is how God is speaking to Daniel and he's he's showing the different kings what's going on. He gives them pictures of a a statue at first with different metals representing the ages and the kingdoms. And then he does animals and then he brings it back again here in chapters 10 through 12 as Daniel is just perplexed about everything that's going on. And 10 through 12 is where the kingdoms of the world are seen again. And this great king from the north comes and he attacks Jerusalem, he exalts himself as God, and then is overthrown by God himself as God establishes his kingdom. And so once again, we see the same evil king, the little horn, the big horn, the, uh, the Antichrist, basically, who comes out of the kingdoms of men and establishes his throne in Jerusalem. And God himself comes and basically... Annihilates him. We'll speak more in depth about that. But in these last ten, these last chapters, ten through twelve, uh, Israel is given a timetable for their captivity. First, for their the, their time when they're going to get out, the coming Messiah, when the Messiah is actually going to come in. It prophesies exactly to the day when Jesus was going to ride in Jerusalem. When Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey, it was four hundred ninety years later from a certain point. It was to the day that he came riding in, and then he was cut off after at the end of that week. And then now there's this floating seven-year period, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, but where the Antichrist is revealed, where he sets up shop in Jerusalem, in the temple, make, declares himself to be God. And that's when the tribulation happens on the earth, when God's wrath is poured out on the earth for a period of basically three and a half years, but seven-year period. And at the end of that time, the king returns and establishes his kingdom that will never end. And so that's kind of the book of Daniel in a nutshell. (laughs) You've got a guy who's been taken from his land, who's been emasculated, he's been put in prison, he's, he's young, and God spends his whole life using him to reveal his timetable to the kings of the world and the future kings. And it has gone exactly as God has set up until this point. Those kingdoms have come. They have divided. They have fallen. All those things have happened. And we are waiting for that last section, for the return of the king, but not before the Antichrist comes and the false peace is established. And then God pours out his wrath. And I pray that the church will be out of there, out of here before then. That's my hope. But where Daniel is sealed, because if you get to the end of the book of Daniel, basically Daniel's just perplexed about all this stuff. He doesn't understand everything because it's yet future, right? So, hey, John felt. But where, where, and the angel says basically, hey, listen, this is now sealed. You're not going to understand what's coming on. But what's so cool is where Daniel is sealed, Revelation reveals. It was unsealed in the book of Revelation. And we have the revelation of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. These are two up ap- ap- um I want to say apostolic, but it's apocalyptic books uh, of the Bible, Daniel and Revelation. And you need each to understand each other. So that's a quick overview of the book of Daniel. I left that a bunch, obviously. But the book of Daniel is an amazing book. And I've been studying it over the past couple of weeks more in depth, but there's three themes themes that uh, the Lord's put on my heart for us um, that I hope really draw out and come through as we have time together. First, living as captives in an evil world. Living as captives in an evil world. I pray that as we look at Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, that the Lord would speak to us about our lives and our manner of living in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Secondly, the sovereignty of God in all circumstances. The sovereignty of God in all circumstances. We're going to see that God is King of kings and Lord of lords. And everything that is happening and working is not out of his control, but is actually under his direct control. And thirdly, the unfolding, unstoppable plan of God for this world and for His people, it is rolling forward, and nothing is stopping it. It is happening exactly as He planned. God's plan is being unveiled, and it's so good to be a, a part of that plan, although our vision might be limited in it. But He's revealed so much of it to us. So living as captives, the sovereignty of God and His un, His unfolding plan, and I and I think as believers, we're we're living in days where where we need God's revelation, where we really need God's revelation, not in a weird way, but as he has given it to us in his word, he's already given it to us. He's revealed it to us. He has given us examples of believers living in difficult days. He has shown us that he is in total control of kings. They do his bidding. It might not seem like it from our perspective, but ultimately they work together to fulfill and to forward the plans of God, even in their sin and their evilness. Those things work together for God's plan. He's pulled back the curtain for us. On the future and revealed to us things from his prophets, his unstoppable will and plan for this world and his people. He's given you insight as the people of God about what he's doing. You're not on the outside of the plan, you're on the inside now. He's given it to you, and he's given you his spirit to understand that it's beautiful. And it's in times like these that we live in that we we need to look to the apocalyptus. That word means, you know, the apocalypse means the unveiling. The revelation is the word that we use. We need to look to the unveiling that he has so graciously given us in Christ Jesus. He's unveiled it for you, church. He's given you what you need to know in this age, in this time, concerning the things you need to know. He's revealed it in his word. And so... We too, as our brothers and sisters before us, we can walk by faith until our faith becomes sight. And that's my hope in whatever age and circumstances we find ourselves in. And so with that, let's begin Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll only be in this for a few minutes here this morning. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Daniel starts off his his writing with some historical background. So we basically have a reference point of what's happening. We know who's involved, what's going on, what's happening. And what's taking place? In verse 1, we find out that it's the third year of the reign of, of Jehoiakim uh, that Jerusalem was being besieged by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And uh, we know that this is about 605 BC, when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he comes and he attacks Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom of Israel, we'll talk about it in a second, ruled by a king named Jehoiakim. So just a little note, the southern Kingdom of Judah and the, on the southern and northern kingdom of Judah, basically after David and Solomon. Remember, David established the kingdom of Israel. Well, Saul, then David, then Solomon. Basically, right after that point, there was a there was an argument. There was a civil war in Israel. And it got divided into to the north and the south. And so, the northern kingdom didn't want to have the same king as the southern kingdom, and and really they divided it into two sections with two different kings. So, when you read. Uh, in in the book of Kings and stuff, and you said, you see a king of Israel, well, if it's not David and if it's not Solomon, it means it's it's referring to the King of the North. And then Judah would be the South, and basically all the kings were bad. They all did evil except for like two or three, all bazillion of them, all bad, all did evil. And so there's a civil war. They're divided into the north and the south. The north is really idolatrous. They are totally into idolatry. The the south that has Jerusalem is a little more centered in their worship. They fall later. The north falls in 722 uh, BC to the Assyrians. They come in and wipe them out. And it's sad. So the Lord, uh, as they're in their idolatry in the north, uh, they basically set up their own worship system. A lot of stuff happens uh, that's really bad. And so you had Elijah, you had Elisha, you had Amos, Hosea, and other prophets sent by God to warn them to repent in the north, but they didn't. And they got conquered by the Assyrians in 722. Sadly, 120 years later, the, the 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 southern kingdom does not pay attention to what happened to the north. And so God sends a slew of prophets, Jeremiah being one of the main ones. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, warns the south for years about the Babel, uh, about needing to repent. They fell into idolatry. They were not observing the Sabbath laws regarding the land. And so God decides, there's a lot of other things too, but God decides to enact judgment upon them. But the prophet Jeremiah was one of those prophets warning them. If you're in Daniel, keep your finger there, flip left, flip left past uh, Ezekiel, past Lamentations and get to the book of Jeremiah. All of those prophets right there, uh, Ezekiel uh, Jeremiah Daniel that's all during this time period they're all they're all writing to Judah but if you flip left in your Bibles which you bring to church I right hear um, it's a little encouragement for next week you can bring your lightsaber if you want you can have this kind so go to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah prophesied that Judah would be conquered by Babylon. And by the way, no one ever listens to Jeremiah, and he wrote writes so much they never listened to him. He says, starting in chapter twenty-five, verse one, he says, "The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah." So, same time period right before the king's gonna come attack. King of Judah, he was the first, it was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a, a, a commander in the army of his father. And then he took over when his father died in 605. And so verse two in chapter 25, of Jeremiah says, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He said, for 23 years. From the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you. Twenty-three years, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land which the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me in anger, anger with the work of your hands, and then I will do you no harm. <coughs> and so, pardon me, they were in constant idolatry. They were in constant idolatry. Their kings were all evil, almost all of them. The kings led people into the idolatry. They, they promoted it. They let it flood into the community. They didn't. They weren't standing in the gap. They weren't holding the line. They just let it happen. They're letting the influence of the pagan outside world into the people of God, into the camp of God. They were allowing pro- false prophets to constantly muddy the waters and speak everything that they wanted to hear and not what God was saying. And so God sent prophets to warn them over and over and over. You have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you have Ezekiel, you have Joel, you have Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and the rest. The result, Jeremiah 25, 7. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. It's not only their worship, it came out in their work and what they did. All the things they were building, the idols and what they did with their lives. Therefore, verse 8, thus says the Lord of the host, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send. For all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the na- these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the grindstone and the millstone and the light of the lamp. Life is going to cease as you know it. All the things you normally do are going to come to a screeching halt. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He lays it out for them. What's going to happen? Because of your sin, because of your rebellion, Judah, judgment's coming and I am going to send someone who is wicked to come do my bidding to wipe you out. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, warned them, and among others, that this would happen shortly. And they needed to repent from their idolatry. And by the way, not only that, from neglecting the Sabbath, God had told them every seven years to let your land rest. There's spiritual significance to that, but they wouldn't do it. So he says, for every year that you let that go, I'm going to put you in captivity. So 70 years was the number. And so 70 years... They were to be in Babylon. So so Nebuchadnezzar is used by the Lord to bring judgment upon Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked dude. When we start reading about them, this guy had a vicious temper. He just chucked people into pits and burned them up. And I mean, he destroyed temples. He just took over. He was violent. Not only his temperament, but his actually life and actions were were wicked in his idolatry. And so this was Habakkuk's, the, the, uh, the, the prophets, uh, he was vexed because God would use someone so evil to come and wipe out the people of God. He's like, how could you do that? And yet Jeremiah said, Nebuchadnezzar was the servant of God. And this is something we need to know. That God's in charge. It's not that he sanctions evil, but as people are given over to evil, part of the judgment of God upon people is to give them over to evil. You want evil? Here it is. Have fun with it, and his restraints come off, and it floods into the society. Not saying that America are the people of God. We are not. But you have a society that neglects God and pushes them out and pursues evil continually and creates evil and 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 just is that they're pursued with, it. there's just evil day and night. He he lets it go, and then we wonder what's happening. Why are the things happening that are happening in our society? Why is there uh, you know injustice and abuse of authority, or why is there uh, you know why are we all wearing masks? All this kind of stuff. You know what I'm just saying. Why are our liberties gone and our freedoms being crushed and and, and no one's doing anything about it and all this type of stuff? And and you got a nation divided and arguing about all these things. It's like it's just a big whirlwind that gets wound up and there's no center on truth anymore. It's all emotions. There's no facts. And the people just are left to destroy themselves. Have fun in captivity, everyone. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant. Not in that Nebuchadnezzar's heart was for the Lord. It's that God is sovereign and he's in charge. Don't think that whatever's going on in the world, God doesn't see and understand and know. It isn't intimately concerned with what's going on. He is absolutely intimately concerned with what's going on. And he knows the big picture from the little picture. He knows Just as Babylon was ultimately judged, that evil will be judged in our day. He's not unjust. He is very just. There is a day coming, but God desires mercy. God desires to be merciful to a people. And so he allows calamity in our lives. He allows difficulty in our lives. He allows sin to keep incubating and going on, not because he doesn't just in wiping it out at the moment, but because he desires that people would get miserable enough that they would repent and look up again to their God, the one who created the heavens, the earth, and find true forgiveness, true peace, true hope, as they turn from sin and turn to God, through Jesus Christ, his son. Jeremiah said, man, Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of God. Although he was a wicked guy, God was going to use him sovereignly, and he did. And that's what we read back here in Daniel chapter 2, flipping back to Daniel 2. And the Lord gave, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, And with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, another word for Babylon, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The things that were holy, the people of God, the items that were consecrated for the worship of God, were now taken and put in the most vilest of places by the most vile person. Totally conquered. Nebuchadnezzar came; he laid Jerusalem to siege, and and during Jehoiakim's reign, and 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 what the scriptures lay out in Second Kings twenty four and twenty five and other places that Jerusalem this wasn't just a one time attack. This was basically three different phases that 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 Jerusalem was taken over in. First, here we read in Daniel. Jehoiakim surrenders in 605 BC, and this is when Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar wasn't done. You see, at this time, Judah was actually already starting, was already kind of weakened. They were subjects, they were vassals of Egypt. Nico II, Pharaoh Nico II. Sounds like a car. But they became vassals of, of them. They were give, paying heavy tribute. So Jeho- Jehoiakim was a puppet king, basically. Well, Nebuchadnezzar came in just as God said he would, and he conquered, uh, conquered him, uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh in a battle, which left Judah exposed. And so basically Judah became now a vassal of of Babylon. So the king just says, yeah, here here you go. And he comes in and starts taking all the royal people and a bunch of stuff and goes back to Babylon, left Jehoiakim in charge. That's what happened in 605. That's the first one. But then again, in 597, Jehoiakim decided not to play along with Babylon anymore. And he decided, hey, uh, you know, Basically, the Egyptians came up and started talking in his ear, and he said, I'm going to rebel. And so Babylon came back and said, yeah, we're going to take care of business. And he laid siege to him for two years. And during that time, or well, not two years, but a, a period of time, Jehoiakim died, and Jehoiachin, his son, took over. And as soon as his son took over, he's like, I surrender. And then that's when a bunch more people were taken brought back to Babylon, along with all these things they're talking about, the vessels. Listen, giant golden things. You're not going to lug that through the desert. So they cut up these giant pieces to bring them back to uh, Babylon. So basically the temple was destroyed. All the items were taken out. People were there. And in it, and it, and Kings tells us at the end of Kings 25 that no one was left in Judah. No one was left except for poor farmers to take care of the land. That was it. Total destruction, total desolation. The people of God were wiped out and brought back. And yet we find out that after that happens, that uh, about, um, we find that uh, basically another king was set up. But real quickly, I wanted to to share with you that it's important to think about those those vessels of worship that were consecrated for the Lord. I mean, the Holy of Holies was, was the place that no one went except for the priests. And to have foreign people come into your Holy Holy and take your stuff. It's not just your stuff. It's the most precious stuff, the, the national identity. And to take it, and to cut it apart and bring it was just, was horrific. And yet this was told to them 80 or 90 years earlier, this was going to happen. If you have read a little bit of Old Testament history, you know uh, King Hezekiah around 89 years earlier, he was was sick and he was going to die and he cried out to the Lord. And basically the Lord said, okay, I'll have mercy on you and I'll heal you, which turned out to be pretty bad for Israel because he had a son called Manasseh, which was the worst of the worst for Israel. But anyways... There was, the Babylonians had heard that he had, was sick, and so they sent an envoy, I'm sure, to see how good he was doing. But in 2 Kings 20, starting in verse 13, this is what happens when the envoy comes, and Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all of his treasure of his house. Of the, of his house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oils, his armory, and all that was found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. He showed them the temple. He showed them everything. Then Isaiah the prophet came to the king Hezekiah and said to him, "What do these men say? And from where did they come to you?" And Hezekiah said, "They have come from far country, from Babylon. I don't even know where it is." And he said. What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house, and there is nothing in my storehouse that I did not show them. And then, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your, in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom, will, uh, uh, whom you will father, shall be taken away. This is Daniel. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego they'll be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. 80, 90 years earlier, talking about this. All the treasure had become common in the land. And so had their worship of the Lord, eventually. They'd become so nearsighted. And it's amazing what Hezekiah says in response to this. How would you like to hear that's going to happen to your progeny, to your generation that's coming after you? Because you've done this. I would feel horrible, wouldn't you? Well, here's Hezekiah's response. <clears throat> America, listen. He says in verse 19, Then Hezekiah said, Isaiah, The word of the Lord you've spoken is, is good. For he thought, Why not if there will be peace and security in my day? so what's coming down the road for my kids as long as it's good for me? So what happens in 80 years as long as it's good for me? Daniel felt the weight of the decisions that that man and the nation had made. That day came and Daniel became a eunuch. All the stuff was gone. Nebuchadnezzar conquered everything. And then last, that's in the second phase, but basically you had Daniel taken away. You had a bunch more taken away in that second phase, including Ezekiel. He got taken out as well. He got brought back to Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar made Zedekiah king of Judah for nine years. He set up a puppet king there. And and then after basically nine years, Zedekiah rebelled. He rebelled in 588 and so the babylonians laid siege again to jerusalem gosh if we don't learn from our history i don't know what will how many of you guys have done stuff and keep losing stop it like don't do that stop rebelling against babylon there is what's going on and jerusalem was under siege for two years they captured him and what happened to hezekiah i'm sorry zedekiah well as a parting token basically he killed all of his sons in front of him. Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar killed all of his sons in front of him and then plucked out his eyes and then took him back to Babylon. So he lived all his days having that. That's the last thing he saw. And so the fall of Judah was complete in 586 BC. And so, man, these are very dark times for Israel church. I know I'm talking about a lot of history right here. And a lot of kind of things but we're painting the backdrop of the book of Daniel this is what Daniel is in he's faced he just came fresh out of these are very dark times for Israel they're under the judgment of God an evil king came and conquered them took killed their family members took away all their stuff they're moved all the way thousands of miles away or how many several well far away they no longer have a home they're exiles they've been stripped of everything it's bleak. What are the questions you're asking when that happens? Where is God? Where is God in all this? Is God in control? Is he truly in control of what's going on? What's going on? Is God truly in control? Is there any hope? Are we ever going to get out of this? What's the plan? God, what, what are you doing? What's your plan for all this? The people of God have been conquered. The temple's destroyed. Most have been killed. Everybody's exiled. They're in a faraway pagan land under a cruel king. And yet God is at work and he is on the throne and he is in control. Very much so. And so next week you're going to be introduced to young men. Lord, we need young men who are not going to go along with the 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 ways of the world but who will stand with Christ in this generation pray for young men pray for young women that god would raise up a holy separated consecrated group of people dedicated to god in this <laughs> wicked and perverse generation who will be able to stand in a foreign king's court with everything going on and stand separated and holy to god and may that be the cry of the church amen May that be us? Next week we're going to be introduced to four teenage boys who've gone through a lot captives in a foreign land living in perilous times under an evil king, but who wholeheartedly are set apart towards their God. Amen all right let's let's pray. Father we, we live in a in a truly um, evil world that has rebelled against you, and Lord, it, it has faded glory, Father, from all of your creative wonder. Lord, we we see your your hand in your marvelous creation, God. And we see it in each other, um, although it's marred by sin. But Father, the kingdoms of men and, and the the systems that we're in, the the Babylon the Great that will rise up, uh, Lord, it is. It is alive and kicking. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and kicking in this world, awaiting for that day when we will be galvanized under a leader who embodies everything that you are not. And Lord, we're thankful that we believe in in, in the true Christ. Lord, may we live as foreigners and exiles in this land teach us to be holy and consecrated in these times that you may use us to glorify your name until your kingdom comes in its fullness upon this earth and you sit enthroned Lord Jesus in Jerusalem and rule and reign and then obviously your righteous judgment and the new kingdom the new heavens and the new earth but Lord until that time teach us to walk by faith and not by sight to live those holy consecrated lives wherever we may be whatever circumstances may be going on lord i pray that there's well there there are those here lord who need to repent i'm one of them father but would you would you by your spirit lord convict us of our our lethargy in this area. Convict us of our sin, Lord, and and bring us back to you in in fullness, Lord, that we would be empowered regardless of the circumstances. Forgive us for not following you wholeheartedly, Lord, for being engaged in Babylon to the degree where we are compromised and not caring about your name or what's coming. Lord, have mercy upon us do a work by your spirit in your church. Breathe your life into us once again, God, through your word. Let us be a people who are filled with your Holy Spirit and moved at the sound of your voice through your word, God. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen.